Peter, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, um, my name is Madeline, and our scripture reading today is coming from two different chapters in Matthew. Um, So y'all can either read along on the screen or read along with me in your copy of God's Word. Um, So the first one is going to come out of Matthew 22, and it's verses 34 through 40. Um, And it should be up on the screen as well. And it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If you all flip to chapter 28 um, or follow along for the second passage on the screen, um, it's verses 16 through 20. And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This is the word of the Lord. And so last week when we were going through and looking at Revelation 7, 9, we said we need to begin with the end in mind. We need to know a little bit of the destination of where it is that we're heading. And then this week, we're going to be looking at more of how are we actually going to get there. Because we talked about last week, if we are going to be able to see at the end, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation There are people all over that don't know Jesus today, that there are some 3.2 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus, much less had the chance to be able to respond to the gospel message. And so because of that, we have got to go and we have got to be able to share the message of Jesus. And we learned from a pastor that I learned from a lot growing up and where he had said that really we have three options that we can go We can send or we can disobey. That we can go ourselves, we can help to send others or we can disobey because this is the heart of our God and this is where we are all heading. And so if you're like me, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to disobey. So I figure out going or sending, what do I do? Sign me up. What happens? It kind of reminds me, if y'all are ever like, okay, Blake, well, I, I just need you to tell me what to do, right? There was a time, so Thomas, uh, he turned five yesterday, which is bonkers, y'all. I mean, it's so hard to believe. Like, Caroline, you babysat him when we were in Georgia, and he was like a newborn. I mean, it's just nuts. Like, it's going, it's small, you know, we have the time hop, and we're able to see, or like the old Facebook memories of all of this stuff, like, just how Thomas has grown year over year, like, and he put together a whole Lego set by himself yesterday, you know, just being able to see the way he's grown and developed, but I still remember night one, y'all. It was the scariest night of my life that we're in the hospital in Macon, Georgia at the medical center and Becca had just come through a long delivery and she was exhausted and sleeping and Thomas, little 
infant, sweet Thomas was there in his little like rolling bassinet, you know, with the clear sides and everything. And I was over there, you know, on the dad couch uh, that, you know, kind of expands out and the back cushions make a little mattress and all this kind of stuff. And so we're going through and then, you know, we're trying to nod off, trying to get a little bit of shut eye because we know it's going to be a long next 20 years. And we're going through and so we're like, Okay, finally just nodding off a little bit. And then all of a sudden, Thomas goes, <laughs> and it was oh, like, oh my gosh, got to lay off the cigs, man. And so we're like, what is going on? I, I think, y'all, he, it's night one and we have killed him. Like, what is going on? We couldn't even last the night. And so, you know, you get that little remote with the red button, like call nurse, call nurse, call nurse, call nurse. And they just hated me. And so I'm trying to figure out what is going on. And then Tammy comes in, you know, and Tammy, she was just the sweet. If any of you are like going into the medical field, like you can be a literal angel of light to people in a very dark place. And so you can go through and as you're coming, like Tammy comes in and she's like, oh, oh, this is totally fine. He just didn't get all of the fluid out of his lungs. I mean, he's going to be coughing up for a little while and everything like that. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then so she goes away and, you know, he's fine. Everything, we kind of nod off to sleep. <laughs> you know? And we're just like, oh, my gosh, Tammy, what are you doing? What is going on, Tammy? And so I need Tammy, I need you to come back. And she's like, Blake, it's okay. You know, Becca's like, okay, Blake, I think she told us <laughs> everything is going to be fine. I was like, no, this time that sounded different. That sounded different than the last time. And I'm trying to go through. And then Tammy's like, well, you know, Blake, it's, it's okay. He's just going to be coughing a lot. Of time. He's like, Tammy, I just need you to tell me what to do. I just need you to tell me what to do. And then the next day, you know, when we're trying to do the swaddle, I don't know if any of you have ever swaddled a baby, uh, but there's like an art, and Tammy knew it. And so Tammy showed us. Like we, we have the, I have the video on my phone five years ago in a day of Tammy showing us the tutorial in the hospital on how to do the master swaddle. I was like, Tammy, I just need you to tell me what to do. I was talking about it with Beck, and she was like, you know, it's, we have those moments where we feel like, Gosh, I know that something is supposed to happen. I don't know what's supposed to happen, but I know that I'm here and there's someone that knows what I'm supposed to do. And so I just need you to tell me what to do. And so as we come to the passages that Madeline read for us tonight from Matthew 22 and then Matthew 28, as we're looking at what has been called the great commandment and the great commission, and we're wedding those two things together, that these passages answer us in our frantic State, when we realize there are 3.2 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus. Okay, Blake, well, just tell me what you need me to do. Because I feel like I can be crushed underneath the weight of all of that. What is it that we are supposed to do? Like if we had to give a title to tonight's sermon, it would be this, Go in the Greats. Go in the Greats. In the Great Commandment and in the Great Commission. Let's look first at the Great Commandment in Matthew 22. Follow along. And your copy of God's Word will be on the screen. But when the Pharisees had heard that he, that's Jesus, silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Oh my goodness, I mean, let's just see the scene, right? I mean, they are coming in, they are trying to test, trip up, make him tongue-tied, the son of the living God. And they're trying to test him. And they say this in verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? thinking they stumped him. But Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. But <laughs> there's more, right? 
Verse 39, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. They're trying to corner Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to get him to say something that they can use later on as verbal ammunition to get him killed. And they're thinking, okay, we got this. Which is the greatest commandment? But Jesus... He blows up their perspective like with quoting from Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. I can't help but get you know, some reverberations from Jesus in the wilderness when he's going toe-to-toe with the devil and he starts quoting scripture. Except this time it's the religious folk, right? And so they come over here and they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to lead him away. They're trying to put him in a corner. But Jesus, he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In Leviticus 19, and there's a second one like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And when we're going through, and different folks have tried to do different things with this, and like, Talk about different emphases, like with the heart and with the soul and the mind. And I'm like, I don't want to emphasize so much. Like, I don't want you to think that they're like compartments, right? And that like, you need to get better at loving him with your heart or you need to get better at loving him with your mind or with your soul and all that. kind of. When we really start to kind of split hairs at that point, what we, don't need, we don't need to emphasize that as much. But we need to read this as that God wants all of you, your whole being, This is exhaustive, all-encompassing, totality right here, heart, soul, and mind. He wants it all. No divisions, no parts, no subsets, all of it. It, It's very much in line with what we see the psalmist would say in Psalm 86, 11, where he says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Or if you uh, have the, the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, the way that tr- the, they translate that verse, it says, give me an undivided heart. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, he would actually write a treatise where he would be talking about purity of heart is to will one thing. So to, to not have this fragmented, compartmentalized, splintered off, half-hearted devotion but to where we are truly loving God with everything that we have, with our whole being, heart, soul, and mind. He wants it all. He wants all of this. And what does he want this to do? He wants us, and I love this, the commandment, right? What is the command? To love him. That's his command. To love the Lord your God with all of yourself. And when he says he wants your love, it's not like, you know, the, uh, you know we're, we're about in a Hallmark Christmas season. Uh, you know, it's, it's coming, y'all. And I'm not going to begrudge you that. I'm not going to bash you from up here. You know, it's been a hard year. It's been a hard couple of years. If you like Hallmark Christmas movies, go ahead. You know, it's fine. I, I, I'm going to tell you that, all right? You can go ahead and watch those. You know, it, it's, it's, it's okay. But as we're going through, it's not that kind of mushy, sepia tone, right, that we're going through where they just meet in the town square and it's the same thing recycled from Gilmore Girls all over again. Like, that we're not, that's not the kind of, you know, smushy love that he's talking about. Jesus is your boyfriend kind of thing. But what he is talking about, he wants your love 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He wants your commitment. He wants your faithfulness. He wants your obedience. He wants your gratitude. He wants your affection, your desire, your time, and your serving him. That it is this committed, deep kind of love. That it's relationship and responsibility. And y'all, we're tempted to think that God only wants our Sunday mornings, our Tuesday nights, and 10% of our paycheck. And that's it. But he, when he said that he is Lord, he is Lord over all. We have this command to love the Lord our God with everything that we have. But he says that there is a second that is similar. To love your neighbor as yourself. Love of God and love of neighbor. Neighbor, You've heard it said like, love God and love people. It's a short, it's a summary of the law. God wants you to show his love to other people. And y'all, this means meeting physical needs. It does. There are a lot of times, you know, as we're talking about missions that people are like, well, okay, we're we're just going to go over there and we're just going to dig wells. Or we're going to go over there and we're just going to open up a hospital. We're going to go over there and we're just going to do this, that, and the other. And then there are some people like, no, you can't do that. Like, you're not doing anything. Advancing the kingdom, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. That's bogus, right? Well, yeah, that, that is bogus. Don't preach the gospel and use words if necessary. The gospel is a message. But so much of what we need to be able to do is to show that the way that we're walking lines up with what we're saying. And so, what, I mean, that's what a hypocrite is, is it not? When what you say and what you do are out of sync. And so as we're going through, and as we are helping to love God and love other people, yes, one of the most loving things that we can do is share the best news and the hope that we have with them. But also... At the same time, we can help to meet their physical needs. We can help to give them water. We can help to give them food or clothing. We can help to give them shelter or protection or asylum. We can do all of these things. Why? Because we see in Luke chapter 10, right? It's a similar situation where a lawyer comes up to Jesus. He says, I've kept all the laws for my youth. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he's like, well, who's my neighbor? The lawyers, right? You know, if you're studying to be a lawyer, no hate against you, no shade. But then you're just asking a lot of questions. And so Jesus launches into the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? And without recapping all of that again here, Jesus gets to the very end. And he says, like, you know, there's the Samaritan that found this man naked, bloodied, left for dead in the ditch. He picks him up, binds his wounds, takes him, pays for his lodging, pays for his medicine. And he asked the innkeeper to keep charge over him. And he, Jesus gets to end the story and he says, and which one do you think was his neighbor? That Yes, there's a part of being a neighbor that's showing love to our neighbors is meeting physical needs. And so there's so often, like in this day and age, we are tempted to think in either or. But what we need to be able to do is to think both and. And so what I want to encourage us to do is that we need to meet needs and minister the message. That when we're doing these things together, we need to meet needs and minister the message. So yes, share the gospel message and give a cup of cool water. 
Share the gospel message and give a hot plate of food. Share the gospel message and help with the clinic. That a lot of times these ways in which we're meeting physical needs and we're showing compassion and mercy to others is a great platform for us to be able to share the very gospel. So yes, meet needs and minister the message. Preach the gospel and let your love, care, and concern for the people be consistent with the gospel message. This is the great commandment. This love for God and love for neighbor, it compels us to act and y'all, it controls how we live. It can, like, this is the all-consuming, controlling force in our lives, or it should be. You look at 2 Corinthians 5, it'll be up on the screen, follow along with this. A huge passage in my spiritual development when I was in your seat, when I was in college. 2 Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And we skip to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old, it's passed away. And behold, the new has come. And all of this, it's from God, who through Christ reconciled. What does that mean? That's a big churchy word. We use a lot of these churchy words, right? What does it mean to reconcile? Reconcile means to bring back together. Family feuds, warring nations, estranged parents and children, bringing back together, that is reconcile, to reconciliation. That this is what God has done. Christ has reconciled us to himself and he did what? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of helping to bring people back to God. That is... Verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, praise God, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Like, do you feel the weightiness the significance, the calling, the mantle that is put collectively on our shoulders? For those of us who are in Christ, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That you go back up to the very beginning and the way he starts this section, he says that the love of Christ, again, not the squishy, mushy kind of love, but the kind of love that bleeds, the kind of love that sacrifices, the kind of love that says, no, I will stand in your place. That kind of love, it controls us. It is the guiding force in our lives who are in Jesus. It determines everything about us. The decisions we make, the directions we pursue, the way that we give, love, serve, and are involved with everything that now when we are in Christ, it changes the way that we live. Like, it's, it's one of those things, it's like when you get married. Uh, you, you can't go about doing things the same way that you were before, right? You know, when I got married, uh, it was one of those things, I mean, Becca and I were super young, and when we were going through and we got married, like, I was having to relearn how to do things now as a married guy. Like, I, I moved into our one-bed, one-bath apartment, 600-square-feet shoebox, before she did, down in Tuscaloosa. 
And like when she came to visit that time to see the place that I had provided for her, right? All that she was able to find was an air mattress, some camping chairs, my mom's old bunco table, and some cutie oranges in the refrigerator. And I was happy. It was like my little monk cell. It was awesome. And I was going through and it was just simple and nothing. I was going, I just loved it. But she was like, something's going to have to change. And I learned adding decorative pillows to the budget, right? Like just some things are different. I could no longer play video games as soon as I got home. But the thing about it is, I didn't want to. I still wanted to play them, don't get me wrong. But when I got home, now it was the case that we wanted to be able to reconnect after having been apart for the day. That now when we were going out and we were going to be having meals, it was no longer me just going to Chipotle for every meal. But now as we were having to embark on the lifelong struggle of figuring out where it is we're going to go eat, right? That there are things that you have to do, that things change when you are in a covenant relationship with someone. You cannot do things like you were doing when you were flying solo. And it's the same way in following Jesus I mean, that we see in the scriptures that we are the bride of Christ. That we not like that it's a marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. That there is relationship and there is responsibility that is here. And as we're going through, we live differently. And so the love of Christ, it has made us new creations. And so based on this passage, I just want to remind you who you are. Okay, follow along with this list. This is who you are now. You are loved by God. The love of Christ controls us. You are reconciled to God. You who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are entrusted with a message. That he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. That you are ambassadors for Christ. Like what does it mean to be an ambassador? That you are a representative of a nation living in a foreign land. Like if you were the U.S. ambassador to France, right? Then you would go, you would live over in France... And as you were there, you would be representing the you'd be representing the interests of your home country while living in a foreign land. That we are ambassadors for Christ. That a few weeks ago, that we heard Pastor on Sunday morning talk about how we have a citizenship, a permanent address that is not here in this world. That we have a heavenly citizenship. And that coupled with this passage, that we are now ambassadors of a different country living in a foreign land. And some of us have gotten far too comfortable with this home. And some of us have gotten far too comfortable thinking and lulled into thinking that this is our permanent address. And that's why we sang that song earlier, the spirit of loving God would fall afresh, that he would wake us up. That we would be lulled out of our slumber and our dozing. And to remember who we are and that we are ambassadors for Christ and that we are those who God appeals through. It is baffling to me. The Lord does not need us, but he chooses to use us. And how he says here at the very end, God making his appeal through us. God's heart is for the nations. 
God's heart is for his people. We have the great commandment to love. And y'all, this leads us to the second great, this leads us to the great commission. So let's go there. Let's look at a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Jesus has died on the cross, been buried in the tomb. The stone rolled away. He's resurrected. He's appeared to his disciples. And now he is talking with them and giving them their marching orders. And this is what happens in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. This is a little sidebar. I just find that super interesting. The fact that the disciples, the ones that have been walking with him so closely for so many years and now are seeing the resurrected Jesus in the flesh, they still doubt. And some of you are wondering, is, is it okay to doubt? Well, it's like what Tim Keller has said, that when we follow Jesus and when we give those doubts to him, we hope and we work towards the goal of being able to doubt our doubts. But we see right here, like sometimes we think, if I could just see a miracle, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just hear his voice, then I wouldn't doubt that this shows that you might still would. And so as we're going through, like there's just this mingling right here, and we need to pray, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so verse 18, hopping back on the train, Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like he's got the power. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the triune name of God, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus, the one who has all Authority, the one who has conquered death itself. Now, because he's been given given all authority, he tells the disciples to do this. You look at the Great Commission, and you were to like go through. My my wife was an English teacher for nine years, and like she would she taught our students how to like diagram sentences. Y'all remember some of those things growing up? Like maybe you loved it, English history folks, right? Some of you hated it, the math science people. It's okay, right? But you go through and it is just super helpful for Bible reading. And you go through and as you are looking at what is the verb here in this sentence, the main verb in this great commission is make disciples. That is our commission. To make disciples. And what we have are the participles, the gerunds, all of the ings, all those kinds of things, right? Parts of speech. There are three of those in this that show us how we can do that. How do we make disciples? Go, baptize, and teach. Well, we're saying saying make disciples. What, What does it mean to make disciples? What is a disciple? Again, just the churchy words piling up in here, Blake. To, make it a, to be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus, plain and simple. That you are following him. And some of you might be like, well, like, what does that mean to follow Jesus? Like I, I know like with the 12 disciples, because he was like here, 
like physically walking around and they could physically follow him. So like, how do I do that here and now? How do I follow Jesus in 2021 in Birmingham, Alabama? Well, what does it mean to help others to follow him? You're not gonna be able to walk around physically in pursuit of him, but what you can do is you can walk in his word and walk in his ways. You see, Jesus was the only one who was utterly consistent between what he said and what he did. Everyone else was a liar. Everyone else was a hypocrite. But he alone spoke what was true and what was in step. And so when we go and we're seeing how to be able to walk in his word and then walk in his ways, the things that he said and the things that he did, and we're helping other people to be able to do that. We're helping them to follow Jesus. And he says to make disciples of what? Of all nations. And y'all, this gets it connected to where we went last week, the begin with the end in mind, because what's gonna be there around the throne? People from all nations. So what is the plan to get from here to there? It's discipleship. It is making disciples of all nations, helping them to follow in his words and in his ways. And how do we do that? Well, it's by us going and by us sharing. And then when people respond to the message, it's through baptizing and teaching. That it is the initiation rite, so to speak. It is the first step in all of the ones that follow. That we are baptizing them, right? And this, we're not gonna get into a whole theology of baptism, but it's one of my favorite conversations to have, y'all. So if you wanna talk about baptism, let's do it. But as we're going through, it's the first step of obedience and after becoming a believer. It is an outward picture of the inward reality. It is your identifying with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. It's you saying that I have died to sin and self and I'm being raised to walk in newness of life. Or that we have been a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's why we have this picture. The first steps, but then all the ones that follow and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, including this one. So it's disciples who make disciples. You've heard that before. That this is the plan how to get from here to there. Begin with the end in mind. That's where we're headed. How do we get there? It's discipleship. It's by making disciples of all nations who make disciples of all nations. We're teaching them. We're baptizing And so we are doing this ongoing. And so what we need to be galvanized to, what we need to be reminded, what we need to be spurred on to do is to this, we need to go. We need to go. So go in Jesus' authority. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. And it's with that authority that he says, go, like you are going in the death conquering king's authority. So go in Jesus' authority. Go, helping others to follow Jesus, making disciples initially and continually. Evangelism and discipleship. You know, some people just want to get them in their door, you know, just want decisions, not disciples. Yes, I see that hand, right? That we just want folks to pray the prayer. But no, we want people to be able to step into following Jesus and then to continue to be able to remain for the long haul, initially and continually. Go with the presence of Jesus. And y'all, this is just such a tremendous comfort. 
where Jesus ends the Great Commission, he says, and behold, I am with you always. And so the very end of it, how is he with us after he ascends? It's through the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. It was one of the passages that was in between the verse and chorus of one of the songs that we did, right? Acts 1.8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what you see in the book of Acts. It is that being traced out. Starting in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And then the gospel going to the ends of the earth. That as we go with the presence of Jesus. And then we go out of love for God and love for others. We don't do it just out of a sense of duty. This is what I'm supposed to do. But we do it out of a sense of delight. That this is our God. This is our Father. This is what He has given and entrusted to us. And this is what it means to be a part of the family. I really love talking a little bit about Lottie Moon last week. Uh, if y'all were here, you heard us talk about Lottie and her missionary efforts as she was going to China. Um, every week while we're in this series, I'm going to try to do a little bit of a highlight of one of uh, the great missionaries of the faith. And so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about William Carey. Anybody heard of William Carey before? Maybe in one of your classes, maybe growing up. This is, this is William Carey. It looks like he belongs on a dollar bill or something right there, you know. But William Carey, he was compelled by the love of God and the love of neighbor to go and to make disciples of all nations. He's one of the most well-known missionaries in history. And a lot of people consider him to be the father of like the modern missionary movement. They trace it all, a lot of it, what's happening today, back to him. He was born in 1761 in England, and he became a believer while working as a blacksmith's apprentice. So, I mean, you know, he was in there with the bellows and with the anvils and all of those other kinds of things. And he was baptized at the age of 22. And so he became a believer as a teenager and was baptized in his early 20s. And then he felt the call to pastor. And so he pastored in a small, rural, English town. But the church couldn't afford to pay him, and so he was bivocational. And what he was doing was a, he was a school teacher and a cobbler, a shoemaker. And so he was putting together shoes and he was teaching kids grammar. And what he was doing, he became friends with some other pastors and he went with them to a pastor's meeting in 1785. And when he was around all of these other pastors, they opened it up the floor for questions or for things to be able to consider. And so... He asked this society, and everything sounds fancier in England, right? And if the Great Commission was binding on all successive generations of believers, or if it was just given to the apostles there on the mountain in Matthew 28. And he knew the answer, and he started advocating that, yes, this is the message of reconciliation that all of us have been entrusted with. And as he's going through, he was dismissed as a, quote, miserable enthusiast. But that did not deter young William Carey. A few years later, he published a treatise calling on his fellow Baptists to engage in foreign missions. And then he and 12 others, they formed the first Baptist Missionary Society. They were all so poor and they raised $23, what would be our equivalent today, for their first missions endeavor. But in 1793, 
at the age of 32. So I want you to listen. It took a while for these plans to materialize. He didn't have it all figured out of what it was going to be like when he initially got the call. We need to have patience and pace when pursuing what God has placed on our hearts. And as we're going through at the age of 32, William Carey set sail from England with his wife and his young son for India, and he would never return to England. His family, they faced incredible hardship. They had to veil their reasons for traveling because the East India Trading Company did not like proselytizing. And y'all, when he got to India, he labored for seven years before he saw the first person in his ministry come to Christ. Planting seeds on hard, compacted soil and even harder hearts. And despite those early years of minimal fruit, after 20 years, he and his partners in ministry had baptized 1,407 brothers and sisters in Christ. He translated the Bible into numerous languages. Like I said, he was a grammar school teacher, gifted with linguistics. He founded numerous schools. He worked towards social and agricultural reform. And most famously, he worked to end the Hindu practice of sati. And sati was where a widow would throw herself on her deceased husband's burning funeral pyre. So as they were at the funeral and her husband was being cremated, it was the expectation for women in that society to throw themselves on top of the burning corpse. And he saw this and he worked through legislative action to help outlaw this practice. Caring for physical needs and for souls together. The great commandment and the great commission working together, I see it in William Carey's life. I want to see it in my life. Maybe you want to see it in your life as well. Love of God, love of neighbor, and being able to make disciples who make disciples. And so some of you are like, yeah, sign me up. I don't know what it looks like, but I just need somebody to tell me what to do right now. I just need somebody to tell me what to do. What I would encourage you to do is this, to pray. To pray, asking God to align your heart with his. What has he gifted you to do? What has he made you good at? And how can you leverage that for the kingdom of God long term? And I would encourage you to pray for the nations specifically. There are a bunch of resources that we can put in your hands. Operation World, the Joshua Project. And there's one resource that I want. I have a video that we're going to show you here in just a second of something called Stratus. If any of y'all are familiar with the ministry Radical, David Platt, right? Well, the CEO of Radical, Chris Huntsberger, is a Dawson Church member. And Chris, it's, it's fun, you know, my connection to Chris is he was, uh, I was his assistant coach uh, this past soccer season because him and Thomas are the same age. And so he was the head coach, Coach Chris, and I was the assistant coach. And so we're talking and like this thing is happening. It's like, man, you, you need to know, you need to let your students know about Stratus, and this is an incredible next level data analytics tool on how you can be prayerfully informed about God's work and the tremendous need around the world. Let's take just a minute and let's watch this video together. 
Today, over 3 billion people in the world have zero access to the gospel of Jesus. The reason for this is complicated, very complicated. And each people group has a unique set of reasons they haven't heard the gospel. However, there are hundreds of organizations, ministries, governments, NGOs, all working to impact humanitarian issues around the world. Some of these organizations sit on top of incredibly detailed data about these issues. We created the Stratus Index to bring all of that data together for the sake of reaching people who need to hear the gospel. The Stratus Index utilizes trusted data from over 35 sources. Sources like the Joshua Project, the World Health Organization, UNICEF, the World Bank, and even the CIA. We've taken key factors like natural barriers in Nepal that keep missionaries from just physically getting to people, or political issues in China that keep the gospel from spreading on a national level. Developmental issues like the lack of clean water in Somalia, social issues like women's rights in Iraq, or child trafficking in India. All of this data comes together and we pair that information with people's access to the gospel. The tool crunches the numbers and every single country is given a Stratus Index score. For example, right now, if all factors are taken into account, Afghanistan ranks number one on the Stratus Index, meaning the data tells us that the Afghan people not only have the most urgent spiritual needs with little to no access to the gospel, but they also have the most urgent physical needs. It's all about bringing a new perspective to the ways we go about doing missions. The Stratus tool is simple to use, and we suggest you just dig in and get to work. Accomplishing the Great Commission will not be easy. But we've been commanded by God to take the gospel to all people groups. It's our prayer that the Stratus tool will help you, your family, and your church as you endeavor to be obedient. So we're going to put a link to this on Instagram a little bit later. And I would encourage you as a great next step to go to this website and to play around, and to pray around, right? I just came up with that, right? That's pretty good. I'm going to write that down. As we're going through, and you are able to interactively look at all of these different countries, and you are able to see the urgent spiritual needs, physical needs, the political needs that are there, the complicating factors, and how all of this comes together. I was looking, number four on the list is the Maldives, and I saw it for no other reason than that's like a destination vacation that I'd love to go at someday. But as I was going through and as I was looking at this small Pacific Island nation and I was able to learn more and they have prayer points for you to pray specifically for the people of the Maldives. They have videos of prayers, people praying for folks in the Maldives. They have data saying that if we could get this number of people to come together and help to start a church plant, then we could anticipate that there would be this kind of growth, that we need this many people in this unreached area, that all of this is synthesized together. And we are mental maps and our hearts are enlarged for the nations as we become aware and as we go through prayer. So I'd encourage you, well, just tell me what you want, want me to do. I want you to pray. I want you to be aware. I want you to know. And I want you to go. I want you to go with other people or I want you to help send other people. I want you to give sacrificially to be able to help other people go. To take the gospel to the hard to reach places because there are image bearers all over the world right now 
who are dying without hope. And we have the message and we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And I want you to be able to trust the Lord of the harvest. That we don't need to grow weary in doing good, the book of Galatians would say. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The harvest, yes, it's plentiful. And the laborers, they're few. And we're going to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And I've been so fired up about all the conversations that I had with folks after Oxana last week and all through this week of people wanting to be made aware of other opportunities of how we can get you connected to be able to do some of these very things for you to leverage your break, to leverage your summer, to leverage your first year, two years out of college, to leverage your possible whole career for the sake of taking the gospel to the hard to reach places. Let's start that conversation or how we can get you connected and helping to send others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we don't have to figure this out on our own, but God, that you have told us what it is we should do. God, I pray that you'd help us to walk in obedience. Help us to love you with our whole selves, not just part, not just some, not just a little bit, but all. And would we have that same love for our neighbors? Would we love them as our very selves? Would we meet physical needs, but God, would we also be able to share about their greatest need and how Jesus has dealt with their sin? God, would you help us to make disciples? Would you help us to go? Would you help us to baptize? Would you help us to teach? And God, would you help us to do all of it in your power and in your authority? Be our help. Be our strength, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Oxano podcast. If you want more information on the songs that we sing at Oxano, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.